G'day everyone, welcome to Porsche Talk Podcast. Today's show, it's a good old-fashioned catch-up. Ajmal and I talk about my recent trip to Le Mans, little orange lights on dashes and ignitions and everything else that goes on with our Porsche ownership. Ajmal, 1985 was a pretty important year for some music. Power of Love, Huey Lewis, the news. Hello, and tell us why. Uh, Hello. Um, Well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, Obviously, it was a big song um, around that time. And the obvious connection is Back to the Future, right? Obviously. Big one. He's in. He's in the movie, isn't he? He's he's the teacher where they're doing the rehearsals. You're just too darn loud. Um, <laughs> but also, uh, there's a there's a section in the movie American Psycho. Have you ever watched American Psycho with um, Christian Bale? I know the film. I haven't watched it. Uh, well, he talks about the album Sports, which came out in '83, I think, and he talks about how. Uh, how their old early work was a bit too new wave, but when they came out, you know, artistically and and you know, commercially, they came into their own with this album. Uh, but he's saying that just before he's about to murder somebody. Oh. Um, but <laughs> but uh, but it's it's it was a real album of the of the time, and the song was huge, and it just elevated it to a new level. Being in the movie. I think, I think um, you're, this, is, this is often the case with a hit film as well. You know, like there's plenty of, you know, songs out there that I probably wouldn't have heard had I not seen the associated film. Oh, yeah. And it's, and it, you know, just like the movie made a legend of a DeLorean, right? <laughs> I, don't, look, I think, I, think you know, I prefer the Huey Lewis and the news aspect than the DeLorean aspect when it comes to... Uh, what well, it did make a legend I mean... I mean, think about it, because what eighty five? So a De- the Delorean story was quite still quite you know recent in recent, wasn't it? Wasn't it early eighties? Yeah, it was for sure. That happened. Yep. Mm-hmm. The whole the whole drugs and you know all of that stuff with the guy uh, who set up the company and he was going to revolutionise sports car and the and the the you know the amazing design, but then it ended up being a bit of a shit sports car um but if it wasn't for the movie if it wasn't for the movie we'd just be talking about one of those you know oh the, the one of the great catastrophic failures and forays into sports car manufacture and design whereas now of which there's been many. Of the movie yeah and, and that's an icon it is it is but look great tune still uh i think it holds up well it does absolutely i love it yeah, great. I'll um, just do it now. Now, I've seen from some recent posts of yours that you've got a problem with the amber lights. <laughs> uh, yeah, the screen wash is running low. Yeah, I noticed. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've had a bit of a blip where it blipped. So, so for the listeners, uh, in my 996, so... My driveway is really steep and it's a sudden 
steep, it goes suddenly goes into the steep thing with a shared drive that I come into. And a, a few weeks ago, um, I came in, I came in a bit hot. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and one of the exhaust tips hit the floor. And I is never that, really noticed is that it for a few weeks. It's just the way you come in. Okay. It's uh, it's the the way you come in because the road dips and then goes really steep, and if you've got slightly longer sort of wheelbase, the front or the back, or both will hit depending ah, on the angle okay. you're coming sure. in. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I must have been coming up the hill and just turned in a bit too sharply, and um, I, a few days later, I just noticed coming back to the car that one of the exhaust tips was pointing in the wrong direction. I actually, I'm always suspicious of the exhaust tips on your car when I've seen photos. Like, like they haven't had the end pipes for, I don't think I've ever seen a photo of the nice chrome exhaust tips that your car historically comes with. It's got these two little straws that hang out the back. Yeah, pea shooters as we've called them. Yeah, okay. So it, someone's, someone's changed the exhaust at some point and the standard exhaust or, or the exhaust that comes in the box comes with these ends that people generally just throw away and put the standard stuff back on which ah. is the big chrome that mm -hmm. fills the hole in the yes. bumper yes so when mine came yes. along it came with the pea shooters and at first i was thinking oh no no it didn't come with the pea shooters that these massive chrome aftermarket things stuck on and they stuck out so far out the back <laughs> that i just took them off immediately and threw them away they look stupid and uh so I, at first i thought oh yeah i need to sort that out but the longer i've had it the more I've started to just like them as they are with the pea like, shooters. But they're like one and a half inch or something. It could be the world's smallest exhaust. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're them. tiny. Oh, yeah, they're tiny. And then just one day I was looking on, on eBay for something, probably about two years ago, and the and the correct ones came up for about £60. So I bought them. So I've got them somewhere in the shed. Somewhere. But anyway, this one bashed, bashed the floor. It broke the clamp. And so it was really loose. Um, and I went to, a, I, I wasn't going to drive the car again, but then I was going to a car event and my wife had gone out in the family wagon. So I, I just took it anyway and it was fine. Um, but then I went to Classics at the Clubhouse, PJ's event at the yes. Sanford Springs, the golf yes. club, a golf course. Yes. And uh, on the way back, it fell off. So I'm missing an <laughs> exhaust tip. And uh, it kind of, I think, fumes the interior. So I, I get out a bit high. Um, what? So I it need must to have cracked the exhaust somewhere or near the um, – there's something not right there. Just the tip hanging off the back shouldn't put exhaust into your cabin. Uh, I, well, the thing is because it's under the – under the it's right under the bumper. So yes. I don't know where the fumes go when you're – because they don't come out. So they go under the car. Sure. So I don't know where they go. I don't know whether they come in or not. I just thought – I just felt a bit lightheaded after is this, I, I – Is this a long-winded way to explain why your engine light's on? No, that's unrelated. <laughs> I, was, I was sat in traffic and I'd, I'd taken my daughter out and we were just sat in traffic chatting and the car, the engine just blipped for a second. I don't know what it did. It's it in just, revs. It, the revs just dropped. Yeah, the revs just dropped right down just for two seconds and came back up. And, you know, when the light's first about to come on, it flashes for a while. And, it's fla and you know, in your head even though my child was with me in my head, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and um, so it's it's been on for a couple of days, but I've I've driven it twice since. 
and it dries fine. You so I suspect old, it'll go through the various cycles. You haven't done the old-fashioned disconnect the battery and connect it or reconnect it again? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, just, I'm too lazy even for that. Oh I'm just goodness. going to... Because, because it sets the alarm off. Yeah, that's not, so when I do that... For a second. No, if you do that and you quickly reconnect it, it sets the alarm off. How has your car got an alarm? What, the standard factory one? Don't all 996s have a standard factory alarm? Is there such yeah. thing as a standard factory alarm? Listeners out there, anyone has got a 996, there's a lot of people, listeners out there that actually do have 996s. <laughs> is there such thing as a standard factory alarm or has Ajmal just inherited another hit turd that's hidden under his seat or something <laughs> that only Ajmal has? You know, you no, it, it special does, listeners um, out there with two exhaust it, tips. It does the standard, you know, you know, if you don't lock one of the doors properly or the glove box or something and you go to, you do the key to lock everything and it does a little double blip to say, I haven't turned the alarm on because something's not closed properly. It's a double blip, your actual horn in your car, or is it actually a separate alarm? That's the horn, yeah. Siren. That's the horn. Yeah. Uh, that's the yeah. horn. But I've, I've set the alarm off because if you do the, um, you know, if you've, if you've left it parked for a while yes. and it disables the key... Uh, the remote key and so if you then stick the key in the, yeah it does if you leave it for more than seven days i think it disables the key because then it saves on the battery ah. and then if you you have to stick the key in the door got it and when you open the door it goes hang on you need to stick the key in the ignition pull it back out and press the thing right to unlock it okay um so that which sets the alarm off if you don't do it and um so i i think it's yeah that's the alarm but um but i don't do the battery for the check engine light because if everything's fine it'll do a few cycles and it'll just disappear <laughs> okay this is going to be it good will. St stay tuned listeners to find out what's really wrong with ajmal's 996 oh hang on what else is uh -huh. wrong with ajmal's 996 i um yeah uh, but, but but before we go on i mean the other thing that i need to the other the big thing that's really bothering me, I know the thing about the check engine light and the missing exhaust tip should really be bothering me. <laughs> but the thing that's bothering me even more than that is in the heat, the suspension creaks so much. Creaks. And yeah, it makes a creaking noise. And in the winter, it does it, but only when it's properly warmed up, you've done a long journey, it starts to creak. And um, I've taken it to jack i took it to another porsche specialist and i said okay oh, there's something wrong with the suspension it's creaking and they've gone no we've checked there's zero play you know all the joints and everything's fine um and i've gone this there's something obviously not right so i've been googling recently and someone said if you make a pinhole in one of the uh rubbers and just squirt some wd-40 in it'll stop doing it hey, and wd-40 is a water displacer that's what the wd stands for it's not a lubricant. It does lubricate it short term, though. It will yeah, do really it. short. As, as it's washing the grease out of there that that rubber boot holds in. Yeah, it's a short term fix. Or, or maybe I should just wait until the garage is built and I could just go in there and, you know, do a suspension refresh, which is unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> Let's come back to that, the garage. Because we haven't had a chance to talk yes. about my trip to Le Mans yet. No, 
Not yet. No, 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 we haven't because we had uh, Cam on, didn't we? We did. What an amazing podcast that was. I know. That was just, just a mind the way, blower. The, the, way talking, the way he started talking about his cars and what it had, and you know what he just kept going, another amazing car, another amazing car, another amazing car, and you're like, he's going to stop in a minute. No, another amazing car. <laughs> you just think, Wow. But even this, like even the car that we, you know, focused on on the podcast, the number forty six, which I can't help but every time I see forty six, I know that this car came first. But it, because of media in my generation, it always makes you think of Valentino Rossi. Oh yeah, that's true. Right, that's just me. That's in my head. So, but the um, it was just yeah, really uh, like I I was conscious of the car. I was sort of, I followed aspects of the car's journey from discovery through to rest, through restoration on social media. But hearing it from Cam with that, you know, enthusiasm of ownership, I just thought it was, you know, when I was editing it before I posted it, I thought, man, this is, what a, what a privilege it is that we get to speak to some of the people we do. I know. And it's just, it was amazing to hear just the journey that he's been through, not really knowing what he had or even the person before, all the kind of, you know, chopped up and, and modified the stuff that had been done to it. And then he has to, he takes it to somebody, you know, Rod Emery, who goes, oh, shit, we've got something amazing here. Yeah. And they're trying, you know, it must have been grainy pictures that they were looking at trying to put it back together <laughs> to what it was. Uh, so it's amazing, an yep. amazing thing to yep. own. So, listeners, if you haven't um, listened to Cam's story, please listen to it. It's a, a lovely man. Did a, and um, I was actually put in contact with him by um, Pete, who from purely Porsche, who was a guest a few weeks ago, and um, Pete also put me in touch with a gentleman who um, Caleb. Fiera, who worked for GR Racing, the privateer Porsche 911 RSR that podiumed in the GTE AM category. And I had the opportunity to spend a bit of time with um, him in the garage and see what the team do and pit stops and things like this um, at Le Mans. So that was a... Pete, thank you very much. It's been... It puts me in touch with some amazing people. And he's actually... I've got a couple more coming down the chute and some future um, episodes here on Porsche Talk Podcast. So we'll, uh, he's been an amazing contact for that aspect of the um, of uh, the production we put together here each episode. Well, save that for a second. Because, well, firstly, go and follow Cameron on Instagram. He's 46SL Road Tolmans. No, Road to Le Mans. Uh, um, why do I say Tolman's? Because I've just been working to a uh, with a guy called Tolman. <laughs> I've been if meeting he, with a listening. guy called Tolman today. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm losing my mind today, honestly. But the, but we need to talk about Le Mans. Yes. And um, but firstly, the result. Right. Look, so spoiler alert: If everybody's you know saving it for later, because <laughs> yeah, it's now what, a week and a half after the event. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, amazing result for Ferrari, uh, and especially while we were talking, when we were talking while the race was going on, and we were saying, "No, there's no way <laughs> Ferrari's leading it. There's no way they're going to finish." But then I've, I've been hearing stuff and seeing stuff where people have been saying um, that 
Porsche should be embarrassed, and I, I don't, I don't think they should be embarrassed. They, you know, they, they were, they ran really well, but also they, the conditions were properly chaotic. And if you're leading before the conditions deteriorate, then you, you've, you've got a bit of a head start because you can see what's, you know, you're not in the in the field. You're not going to get caught up in the carnage. You can see where you're going, but at the same time. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if they should be embarrassed because it was chaotic. Look, what I'd what I would say, I wouldn't. I don't think embarrassed is a fair, um, you know, judgment of mm. how the event went. Very few. I don't think anybody had um, higher ex, higher um, expectations on them to deliver than Porsche with the combination of the seventy fifth anniversary of, uh, of the company. You know, three days before the event. You've got the sixtieth. Uh, this year's the sixtieth anniversary of the nine eleven. You've got hundredth year of Le Mans. There was a lot of motivation for Porsche to do the to win the event. Okay, you know, and there was a lot of um, pressure on them internally. I'm sure within the company and externally from the media. It's not overly surprising that they didn't win with the um, how they were off the pace in the events leading up as well as in the week leading up with the warm-up events and the uh, qualifying. So I don't think it was a lot of surprise. Look, with qualifying in an event like Le Mans, the importance of, you know, being... Like, the first, I think, eight cars were within a second or one and a half seconds of each other. So across a 24-hour race, no lap qualifying lap times are going to be reflective of the longevity of the vehicle that's out there, right? So mm. I, that didn't really mean a lot. But once it came to race pace, it was pretty clear from the within 10 minutes of racing that, you know, there's a few those few seconds which within two to three seconds of uh, race pace, Porsche were yep. banking on, fin, fin, you know, to the whole theory to win, you've got to finish first, you know. You know, yep. finish first, you've got a first finish type mentality. However, yeah. Ferrari, Toyota and Peugeot, they sort of went out of the blocks like a sprint race, but they sprinted for mm. 24 hours. And yep. like a lot of events of, you know, endurance racing, it's, there's a lot of luck involved, no doubt whatsoever. You know, like oh, Ferrari gosh, yeah. not getting skittled. You know, I'm not talking about luck of uh, engineering prowess here where the car actually has to last 24 hours. I'm talking about the luck where, you know, there's a, a oil's been dropped on a part of the track that's wet where the other part of the track's dry, so they're still on full slicks. And, you know, and these are the types of luck I'm talking about. Or somebody just driving straight up your clapper while you're trying to avoid, yep. you know, another accident in front of you. That type of luck is the luck I'm talking about. So... You know, it just the cards didn't fall their way. The car wasn't overly speed competitive, but you know that could have been overcome with luck falling their way. So, look, I, mm. I, I don't know. It's a the the fact that wasn't the fastest car on the track is probably the embarrassment part that gets brought up. It certainly, in my opinion, it wasn't. I you know I didn't didn't come across as being let down by the um the brand itself if anything yeah. i think the fact that they've implemented a private team to run porsche motorsport for the season may have had some impact 
possibly it's a new car for the season, you know. We're, but so was Ferrari. Yeah, and they had a bigger gap from there, there when they last raced. There is a bit of speculation yeah. in the paddock at the event that he who spent the most won. Oh. And oh. See, point. And that that is uh, there has been some information coming out of the woodwork from within the media center at the uh, towards the end of the race as uh, information is getting leaked on capital investment. Hmm. And the rumor and innuendo, because we all love that, was that Ferrari's development uh, timeline and spend was. Uh, focused around the resignation of the fact they can't get their Formula One cars competitive, but this is an opportunity for them to get in the spotlight in the international media. And the capital investment was comparable to the last seven to eight years of their Formula One investment in the last two years to build this 499. Wow. See, my my theory is altogether different. Yep. Because where did a Porsche finish? Ninth and eleventh, so nine eleven. Yeah, you think they actually nine eleven succeeded in delivering? I what think they, they did it deliberately. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what they went for. They went. If, if we're not going to take the win, for, let's go 11. for this. <laughs> yeah, let's go for this. Who cares about you know? Unless they were going to be you know third, fifth, and sixth. For, for me, what was also surprising was the uh, how many nine eleven RSRs. Didn't deliver, you know, in the GTA yeah, class. Oh, no, actually, that's not fair. The they they did deliver. They a lot a lot of them finished. However, with you know those cars are four to five years of competition now. That nine eleven RSR that they're using before next mm. year's rule change, and the uh, you know the they just weren't fast enough. Yeah, again. I, I mean, luck. I don't. I don't. Is it? Yeah, like there's because a lot of it's to do with luck. Because I mean, you, and you were there, but when when that rain came, I mean that oh, that time? chaos that ensued. Which time? The, the first bit. Yeah, yeah. But when everyone was on slicks, and and the rain came, and you know, it was it was almost happening like train wrecks happening in slow motion, wasn't it? Where it cars was, were really slowly sliding off the track well, you've or got spinning. To, you got to remember, the first lap, the first lap was a carnage. They, you know, once they got on to Mulsan, you got people got overtake, undertaking on the grass. Who was it that... There was a, there was a Porsche that crashed, that, that bend it completely on the first lap, right? No, no. Oh, Wasn't there? No, not that I recall, no. There was I a, thought there was, there was one a that bend it taken out of the first lap. Yeah, because it's the one that went into the barrier. Yeah, the, I, I, I thought that was a Ferrari. That, that got back on the track. Oh. Anyway. Yeah, I thought look, it was. You, you but might. that on a 24-hour race, that's got to be a, uh, as you know, we used to say back in there, that's got to be a wounder to, <laughs> <laughs> to, um, to do that and go, oh, shit. The actual... Uh, Racing itself was the first 16 hours was action-packed. Mm. 
what what's really what's really difficult as a, as a an event to spectate with Lamont is in F1 because of its length of race it's pretty easy to keep track in your head about where cars are at on their pit stop strategy yeah but at Le Mans when you pit 20 times in a race or you know depending on your category 30 times in a race you know it is just absolutely mind-blowing and like Le Mans's got some unique rules like that you know when a car pits at Le Mans it has to have the engine turned off because part of their reliability yeah part of their reliability is you have to be able to start your car again Wow, it's a, histo- a, an historic rule, which the hybrid cars cheat a bit because they take off in electric mode, and then bump start themselves yep. as they uh, get out of the out of the uh, box and into the pit lane. You know, but I'm still I'm still baffled by because the whole Limon. I mean, we've talked about this before. I think where I remember being a kid and it being on on a Saturday, mm-hmm. right? On, te- on television, on normal terrestrial television, yeah. <laughs> not not here, here. Here it isn't on television, and um, you know I, I consume most of my sport, I guess, from you know the BBC website, right? Sure. So you get Formula One, not a lot of it. You get a lot of football, you get a lot of boxing, a lot of tennis, but um, Le Mans wasn't on there until it finished and the result came up. But it wasn't the fact that it's going on fact that it's happening any live text or anything like that you couldn't go i couldn't easily without paying you know paying for eurosport or something go and watch it what i could do was go on youtube and they had live streaming from within the cars sure. some of the cars yeah, which was amazing uh, yeah which was amazing but it, you know you didn't get a sense of what was happening you didn't get a sense of uh what was happening in the race what yeah what Analysis. everyone else was doing the context of yeah, exactly. So you were just, you got the feeling of what it was, a little feeling of what it was like being in the car, the noise, maneuvering around, the conditions. Uh, so it was good. And it was one of those where you, it would have been good to have while you were watching a race to dip in and out of this, like, what's it like to be in one of the cars? But um, but I still think they, they just need to, I mean, unless they do the, what's his name? Fassbender was there, wasn't he? He was. The yeah. actor. Um, and I think he binned it as well, didn't he? He did, yeah. He... Um, but, yeah, and um, so, the, you know, they've, they've made a, a movie or a, a, a documentary or something about that um, so that people get people interested. But, you know, the whole drive to survive is bringing such a massive new audience to Formula One when it's probably at quite a boring moment in the sport because Verstappen's just running away with the championship. Um, but, you know, they've got they've got a bigger audience than ever. They're making more money than ever. And yet it's exclusively on Sky. Look, so I've got, I've got some thoughts on that because you, you brought up something similar whilst I was, I was there and we, we podcasted. F1 is an English sport. It's international teams, all that sort of thing, but the reality is nearly all the teams, except I think two are based in like Milton Keynes, you know, the, it is yeah. historically been a, a British sport, okay? Yeah. So the appetite for it where you live 
is great. The endurance championship yep. has historically been a European sport. So yeah, you know, that's a, fair. A, a big appeal for Ford back in the sixties to come racing against Ferrari was to penetrate Europe with Ford motor cars. Yeah. So, you know, these two, where the sports evolved, I think has had quite an impact. I think Drive to Survive has distorted in the last four or five years the profile of Formula One for the average person. When I say distorted, I mean it's brought. And you know what? As a uh, category of motor racing that one could have done with the promotion and two would actually provide a lot more drama. Drive to Survive, had they followed WEC instead of Formula One, would WEC now be the premier um, sporting ca- motor racing category with the, the engine behind it that was that is Drive to Survive, along with, the, like you said, the lull, I guess, in competition within F1, which is making the sport, look, let's face it, you've got to really be an F1 fan to be following with any level of enthusiasm, the excitement of who's coming sixth in the points. Right. Yeah. See, the thing is, there's Formula One genuinely has superstars, right? Anyone in the world knows who Lewis Hamilton is, right? Or Fernando Alonso. Yep. Um, And, but there's also the thing about how it's easily consumed. Because of how narrow the two hours you watch it. Yeah, you get the qualifying, you get the sprint race or whatever it is, you get the watching, but also there's politics between drivers and teams because there's like two or three teams at the top. And although everyone's in this, everyone's competing against each other, whereas in endurance racing, you've got categories, you've got, you know, teams changing all the time, you've got um, big manufacturers dropping out, coming back in. So... I don't know if, and, and also obviously it's endurance racing, it's over a really long period of time. So you can't dip in. So you could dip in for a few hours and then go, well, actually all of that could change. It's like when I'm watching, I've watched only a couple of times, but the Indy 500. Yeah. And there's so many laps that, you know, someone could lead it for like, I don't know what feels like 400 laps and then, you know, lose it on 403rd lap when it's, 405 laps long. Yep. I'm, I'm yep. exaggerating, obviously. Not sure. that yeah, it's, yeah. it's more like 200. Um, but but the um, but it's it's about that tension that's created along the way that says, okay, this is going this way, going that way. And also the reliability of Formula One cars means that you know that that tension is going to go to the end, but also the reason people used to watch it before was because you never knew when a car was going to blow up in the 80s. Uh, whereas now... Well, apart from Honda, obviously Honda can't, Japanese Japanese engines came along and they just never broke. <laughs> and whereas now it's you know everything's just it's super safe, which is great, um, but it's also super reliable, and the engines aren't pushed to the limit because the tires have to be preserved. So there's all this other stuff going on, and I'm I'm a fan from a long, long time ago, so I think about those things. But if you're coming to drive to survive, it's so easily consumed. It kind of lends itself to that. I don't know if endurance racing would. Well, with, look, prior to Drive to Survive, if you wanted any insight to Formula One, inter-team or intra-team politics, you had to be a pretty diehard fan. You know, like you... you yeah, you had to watch the build-up. Or were you watching it? Yep. They're not talking about it in the commentary most of the time about these, 
the interchange politics yep. and stuff. You know, you've got to consume it through literally um, line inches of an opinion piece by someone that attended the race that may or may not yep. get its opportunity depending on what other news is going on printed in the Times. Sports section. You know, this is the yep. only way that you're actually going to historically, whereas now Drive to Survive, that's all they focus on because the racing itself isn't that exciting. You know, the drama is yep. actually what's going on behind the scenes in Formula One, but without Drive to Survive, like, the, they reckon more people are conscious of what happened last season after the, of an, of the Formula One series once a Drive to Survive comes out, not during the season, because yeah. you just don't get yep. the information. So, look, anyway, that's... Look, Formula One hasn't always been the number one watched motorsport category. Like, we've had the heyday of um, uh, GP, MotoGP, where that's, you know, had a higher profile in mainstream media. We've had WRC, which has had higher profile in mainstream media. But now, you know, and historically, World Endurance Championships. Like, you talk about the superstars of the sport of Formula One. You can run off names like Derek Bell, Jackie X, you yep. know, um, Bruce McLaren. You know, you could really, you know, there's a lot of, you know, high profile superstars of endurance racing through history as well. And yeah, I think it's time might be getting close to coming. I think WEC might be coming, making its comeback without the um, excitement of Drive to Survive behind it purely because the show feels like it's coming to its conclusion. There's not a lot, you know, the, there's not a lot of new content. This, this season itself isn't exactly producing what um, this season of racing isn't producing what's going to be a riveting uh, season of Drive to Survive to watch next year. So it, I think, we, you know, I think its days are coming to an end for the TV show. So, look, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. Yeah, true. Um, and... I mean, it depends. I, I guess if if the season starts and something happens, for example, you know, like Aston Martin came to the fore, but they're competing against Mercedes, but no one really cares because you're not competing at the front. That's right. But if uh, the following season something happens where suddenly Mercedes are competing at the front or Ferrari are competing at the front or something ridiculous happens, like, you know, Lewis Hamilton goes to Ferrari and then they suddenly take a leap forward and he's competing in a Ferrari against Max Verstappen, or and Alonso is suddenly competing with them. I mean, when was the last time we had three cars that were capable of winning? Three different yeah, teams been, that were capable yeah, of winning. It's been some time. Yeah, exactly. And 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 then you had three massive personalities like Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso, Max Verstappen fighting for the championship. I mean, that would be just television gold, wouldn't it? Of course, of course. On the um the other th- the other thing I bring up about WEC is. I believe the cars are more relatable than Formula One cars to mm. the average viewer. Now, don't get me wrong, LMP of oh, the hypercar class and LMP two, they're still spaceships, right? No doubt about it. But the hypercar class, the manufacturers have to be committed to manufacturing a car that is representative of that hypercar that's getting used in the race through drivetrain and chassis, right? That being the case. And, you know, that's evident from the new Mission X Porsche car, yep. which looks a lot like it without the shark fin on it. If you take the shark fin and the big wing off the back, it doesn't look that much different. So I, th- I think there is, yep. you know, these 
aspirational motor cars that you could actually attain in some form or another, I think is makes it quite attractive. Next year with the GT category becoming the GD3 class, I think that'll also make it a lot more uh, interesting for spectators when you see BMW M4s racing against Porsche 911s yep. against, you know, um, you know, Aston Martins and Bentleys again and all these other, you know, normal high-performance sports cars, so to speak. I think this is also going to um, help the case. So I feel like we've uh, come to the start of an in, a heyday that's not far away for the type of motor racing that is WEC. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Because yep. it's... Um... It, it, need, it needs to do something to get because because of all the action that happened and I've not followed it for so long, but to to see all of the action that was happening on the track at, at Le Mans and then to, I, th- I think it feels Le Mans like a for motor, diehard motor racing fans. It's a destination for sure. The people who go and camp, people who make a long journey, the car, car trip. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so if for that. But it needs to get to a broader audience, and I know, I know, I know the crowds are amazing. You were there. I mean, you saw it. You didn't even get around, did you? You're there for 24 hours, and you think, because you were saying, I didn't even get around everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, for that, for that, you'd think there, there's got to be a, there's got to be some way of being able to get it to the masses, so it's it's consumable. I'll thing. say, um, I'll talk, I'll talk about attending. The event. To give you some perspective, flew out of Perth on a Thursday evening because of the time zones. Arrive Friday afternoon into Paris, right? Um, I went via Dubai, which when you travel from Perth, going through the Middle East makes the trip a bit more tolerable. I've had a time in my life where I've travelled, you know, five, six times a year to Europe in years gone by and going through the Middle East is much easier than going through Asia. Uh, I get to Paris Airport where I then had, pro, you know, processing passport problems with everyone yeah. arriving at the same time and classic um, bureaucracy in France where... They had two people and at one point one person checking passports with for the 3,000-odd people trying to get through passport control of tourists. So that, that three, wow. three and a half hours late means I missed my TGV that I had booked to get to Le Mans on Friday evening, sadly. So I stayed at a hotel across the road from the TV, TGV station in a little sort of outer suburb called Mussy where the Le Mans TGV line goes from. So did that next morning, catch a train, takes like 50 minutes to travel the 250 kilometres because the train travels about 300 k's an hour and then arrive at the station to Hordes is the only way to describe it, at um, the train station there in Le Mans in the middle of town. The, there's a tram that goes out to, from, out to the circuit. Every tram after tram after tram is just banked up you know, like sardines packed in a can to try and get down yeah. there. And again, in classic 
French style. They didn't put more trams on. So the tram's still only running every five minutes like it normally does instead of every minute when, God. you know, classic, the French not appreciating their tourists. And what was really interesting is I walk out of the station and there's a, so, a like a temporary booth set up saying um, tram tickets to circuit. And there's 150, 200 people lined up, right snaking around. I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm now going to have to wait in line forever to just get a ticket to go down there, which is a Euro 50 or a Euro or something like that. So it wasn't very much. So I'm looking at the line. It's hardly moving. And you can hear all the English and American tourists, of which Americans, there were a lot of American tourists I met and came across. Like I would have met, as a sample size, I would have met, 50 Americans in the time I was there. You know, like, it was that like, is quite a lot. Yeah, it felt like a lot. Wow. Anyway, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at this line, and I'm looking over, I'm thinking, this has got to be, like, this tram trip, this tram's part of a network of public transport of Le Mans. Okay, it's not just this route, surely. So I'll go over yeah. to the um, automated machine, which no one's standing at, press the button for the um, stadium where this tram goes to, Euro 50, spits out a ticket, thank you very much, walk over, get on the next tram, whereas everyone else is still lined up for the better part of 45 minutes to spend the Euro 50 to give it to a person that's going to give them a ticket. Wow. I mean, are you sure he wasn't just some guy who turned up with a booth and was just charging people? No, no, it was official. It had all the Le Mans official um, licensed... Uh, marketing on it and all that sort of thing and it was a team of um, men and women in there trying to serve you know a four wide um wide line of hundreds of people trying to get tickets so i think it was more a case of i don't know how to use one of these boxes and let it be just easier to put people there and let them who speak english to help them you know anyway i was that blew my mind get on the tram there's no way to check the tickets getting on and off the tram so i don't even know why i bothered Right. So you could have just got on without... Got on the tram and just gone down there and got off the tram, right? <laughs> um, I don't condone that, kids, okay? The, uh, <laughs> then headed to... Uh, there's a, quite a large football stadium on the edge of the Le Mans circuit and that's where the media centre was. Went there about, it's about I don't know, half a kilometre from the tram station. Go over there very seamlessly. Mark, here's your... Media accreditation sign here. Here's where you can and you can't go. Anything outside of that, you know, you have to sweet talk your way in. Um, so <laughs> that's literally what they said to me. Um, and then walked in. To get in the main gate, there was, I would have to say, two to 3,000 people lined up, about 10, 15 people. Wide wow. To one of the gates, the gate where the tram stopped, you know, it was... But the the line would have been 20 metres wide of people and 150 to 200 metres long. So it was massive. And that was just our bags checked by security for devices that you're not supposed to bring into a sports event. And I thought, I wonder if this is, I wonder if this is like with this pass, if I have to worry about it. So I walked right up the front and there's a security guy there. I said, do I have to line up if I've got this? He goes, yeah, you do, but don't worry, just come in. I said, you want to look at my bag? He goes, no, you'll be right. Right. <laughs> so I just go through, scan in, so I didn't have to wait in line because that line was not moving either. So if you're 
coming from the public and waited in line for your ticket for your tram, then waited for the tram, then took the tram, then waited in line to get into the st- into the place itself. And then from that gate to the main grandstand, probably about a two and a half K walk. So it's a, you know, a, a, you know it's a mile and a half, half, right? And um, 40 minutes, yeah? Oh, no, not that long. About 20 minutes, 25 minutes, you know, because you can carry along by the crowd. Oh. But it's a long walk, yep. you know, from the gate there. And the first couple of hours, I'm just walking around with my head spinning on my neck. It was just a scale of it. I, I was actually quite overwhelmed. Well, you know, even, even emotional with where I was, what was going on around me. You know, there's historic cars doing laps at that time. Cam Healy was out there at that time as well, in his <laughs> car, um, along with all the other classics. But as I'm just walking around and looking at the people and... You know, you have to walk past a lot of the campsites to get to the main um, straight grandstand area and garages. And there's a lot of um, uh, official licensed um, partners who have big stands, you know, like Total Energy, Ferrari, Rolex. You know, there's, like, there's, there's two Rolex, big Rolex stores here. You know, there's... All right, wait, wait. We've got, to, we've got to talk about that. So, what? So you can you can walk into a Rolex shop, right? I could have gone. I could have um, bought a Daytona there. Could you though? Could yeah. you? Because you can't go buy and buy one from the shop. Well, they had boxes and boxes and boxes of watches there, and people were spending money. And like, you should have bought ten. <laughs> I don't know how much they were. I didn't ask that question. Right, I don't think that would have been retail. Okay, if if, if historically <laughs> anything to do with the Daytona means anything, um, just getting into a lot of these merch stores, the Ferrari store would have been. I don't even know how to describe it. How big it was? It was probably about five hundred square meters. It was a big place, big shop and. They're just punching out merch left, right, and centre. There's a line of about 80 people because they can only let so many people fit in that merch shop at a time. Oh. Right? Maybe so they're giving away free 40s. There's, there's nothing free, Ashmar, I can tell you now, right, <laughs> at Lamar. You are putting your hand in your pocket to breathe the oxygen. The um, <laughs> um, So there's all those merch style stores, Michelin, Brembo, Recaro, if all the if anything to do with any brands associated with motorsport ever were there. Um, plus, a lot of the teams had their own um, merch stores for so you could support the teams, like buy flags, t-shirts, hats, all that sort of stuff, right? And then, uh, then there's the lack of food at the place. Like everywhere you go, there just wasn't enough food trucks and food vendors. Everywhere was took forever and I'm thinking oh man this is going to be hard work all weekend I'm going to have to line up for an hour hour and a half every time I want a sandwich you know that's how bad it was <laughs> and then oh wow the, and then that's sort of that area then it's a big step down of about I don't know down to the um, paddock there's two paddocks there's the VIP hospitality paddock and then there's the working paddock and the working paddocks where that backs onto the pits garages themselves yeah so they're actually separate access, but I was fortunate to have access to both. And in the um, hospitality VIP paddock, all the brands, they've built like massive restaurants 
for the VIP customers. I'm oh. talking two-level, large, big restaurants that are just feeding people and, you know, supplying, um, you know, flags and stuff for the VIPs, you know. So... Are you saying your, your press pass didn't get you to the front of the queue on the VIP? Well, it didn't have to because there's, it's only VIPs in there, so it's not actually heaving all the time. So after I found out after I lined up for the better part of 50 minutes to get a sandwich for lunch because by the time I got there, <laughs> right, I get down to that section and I go up to the Porsche um, VIP hospitality building, which is the only way to describe how big it is, and I, I walked up and the security guard says, hang on, let me have a look at your um, lanyard. Yeah, yeah, sure, come in. And I walk in and I talk to the said, <laughs> So what's going on here? You know, the hostess is at a meet and greet. They said, oh, this is for, you know, VIPs. Blah, blah. And I go, okay, good, nice, nice. She says, um, do you want anything to eat or drink? I said, yeah, sure. She goes, okay, any, any time throughout the race, please feel free to come and help yourself. Is here are here are the mealtime windows right throughout the whole, you know, 36, 48 hours of the wow. event either side, right? Come on down. We've got a big screen there. This part of the restaurant's heated, so if it gets cold at night, come in. You can welcome to sit there and watch the event from there. And, you know, it was just, yeah, so after that I just ate at the Porsche place. <laughs> yeah. I, I, did nice. try, I, I did try the food at the Ferrari one because I could also had access there. Yeah. Um, but the attention to detail for the VIPs was pretty extraordinary and the what was put on. And then in the garages themselves, that was just – I couldn't get access to the working garage at Porsche. That was yeah. strictly a no-go zone. But I got the opportunity to see inside the um, a couple of others, which was, you know, to see that process. And I've, I've posted some video of, you know, pit stops and stuff like that on yeah, the Instagram that. account. But, yeah, so that's really the engineer throughout the night – I'd go to various places and of the track and where the people are and there's lots of big bars and stuff around the place. Like it was no problem buying beer. It was just buying food was a challenge in the place. And even coming from here, like here in WA, we're known to have expensive um, eating out, okay, here in Western Australia. This took it to a new stratosphere. (laughs) I got like... I think a beer, like a beer, which was a half litre, but you have to pay a deposit for your cup and then you get that back when you return at the end of the weekend or whatever, right? But not including that part. I think yeah. it's like eight euro, 10 euro or something for a beer, right? And you got... I thought you more. More? Well, yeah, because you're kind of fishing a barrel there, aren't you? As yeah, far as they're concerned, yeah, it's still a lot of. I felt like a lot of money. That was just the beer, right? The, the sandwiches, like a sandwich cost you. 12 euro. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I bought crepes for breakfast because the line at the uh, to get into any of the VIP restaurants. So I'll just go up, um, back up into the main into the main public area early and grab a crepe for breakfast, right? Firstly, took an hour yep. 45 <laughs> and cost me 14 euro for a crepe. The same sort of crepe that costs you like 3 euro if you're in Paris. You know, so... The, oh. <laughs> you know, so it was... Everything they got you everywhere, but that's what it was. Um, the you know, throughout the night, I did lots of walking around the pits and you know, talking, trying to talk to people and stuff like that. I really struggled to get anyone on record. Had the opportunity to talk and meet Oliver Bloom, CEO of Porsche, 
Oh, wow. But he didn't want to come on the record, you know, so uh, to record any sound bites. The uh, went over to the Porsche Experience Centre, had full access there, which was quite nice. And they had some amazing Ooh. cars from the museum lined up, which was... Like what? Okay, let me walk down the thing in my head. First, a, first car was a sapphire blue metallic 918 Spider. Same, oh. co- same colour and spec as my GD4. <laughs> Next to nice. that was a Carrera GT and GT Silver. What was after that? 959. Oh. Um, road car. Quite a nice one too. I think it was seal grey off memory. What was parked next to that? Uh, speed. Was stuff. it a 1998? Was it a 1998? 996? No. Um, the, I, I'll talk to you about a car in a sec that was based on that. Then there is the uh, a, a 54 Speedster. So the very first model Speedster. It looked a lot like, um, lot like um, Bernard's. Bernard Moir, who we had on the oh uh, yeah, yeah, on the podcast in the past. Then there's yeah, the... he's going to uh, thingy, isn't he? He's going to uh, historic thingy, the historic Le Mans. Yeah, he's going. You messaged me, say he's he's heading out. Okay, good on him. It's not until the end of the month though. So no, it's yeah, not he's, a week he's, away. He's, um, yeah, but he's planning it. He's got. Yeah, okay, he's probably taking a really long. Yeah. Then there was a. Uh, Okay, here's, here's, here's a unique car if you're a Porsche fan. 924 Carrera GTR Le Mans car. Wait, what? Yeah. 924 Carrera GTR. GT, GTR. I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah, it's a monster. Like great big wide oxed out guards. Race Le Mans. Um, and what was next to that? Oh, then there's a 959 Tarmac track car. Oh. And then a, then a, a proper RS Spider, you know, the ones like in the late 90s that they raced with the open tops, yep. you know, yep. before they had to have roofs on their cars. So, yeah, that was a, yeah, that was the last of the cars there in that little thing. I did see the 1998 winning Le Mans winning GT1. With the great lights. Yes, yes. The uh, the front, front. I'll tell you what was really interesting that I forgot about when I was there because that was parked next to a 2018 911 RSR because they're the two mid-engine 911s. Oh, yeah. I forgot. I just, do you know what? I totally forgot about that. Yeah, same. I was there, like, oh, that's right. These two cars have got the engine in the middle, not out the back. Wow, amazing! Yes, yes. and so you just to just be able to wander around yep. amongst I, those cars. I, I could look open up the doors on any of them and sit in them if I wanted to. What? I can't even do that at the dealership. <laughs> you didn't have the lanyard. I, well, no, I went. I, do you know? I went to an event at the at Bremont Watches the other week. Oh, yes, yes. And it was sponsored by Savills, the property company, and Porsche uh, UK. And uh, But they didn't have great cars. They had, like, a couple of Taycans. They had a couple of 911 Turbo S's. Um, 
and then it was you know McCann's and and stuff like that and it wasn't anything particularly interesting but I think I was more interested in they had Keiki Rosberg's Williams from 1985. The, the, the one uh, where the side comes up to you like uh, your kidneys. That's how much cider. Yeah, you get. yeah, that's it. <laughs> you could you could drive it with your elbow yeah, out the side. Yeah, well and truly out. Yeah, that's right. I know the side. Yeah, right. but it looks so uncomfortable. It looked like Soren put a towel on the seat to make it less uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, there, there was the Isle of Man. Uh, uh tt 2018 winning bike okay um and then there was a, a guy making a watch uh okay. horologist i guess is that what they called a horologist yeah, they are. Yep. um and yep. uh and uh and obviously i was distracted also by the barbecue and the and the drinks of course um and and it was it, i would have been wandering around Looking at all the cars, but it, it was just modern cars, and I wasn't yeah, that okay. interested. The the owner of Bruno Watches has a a nine eleven E, I think, from nineteen seventy four. Yeah, 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 from seventy four, I think, which he's had for a really long time. Um, that was there, so that was probably the most interesting car, as far as I was concerned. Um, but um, yeah, really good event. Oh, I can't remember why I was gonna why I was just talking about that in relation to what you said. Oh, I don't know why, um, why either. But the um, I've very like as an event to attend, Le Mans. Yeah. It it's like it's got to be a bucket list for any car enthusiast. Now, even if you're not a big fan of motor racing, the spectacle and the size of it was just like I said at the start of this. It was overwhelming for me. It was just like. And emotional. It was an incredible experience of which I'm very grateful to the listeners that are, you know, helped me get there type of thing. And it will not be the last time I go. I'm look. I will. I'm already thinking about how I plan getting there next year. Well, I think I could imagine the. Um, I could imagine just walking into the place and feeling the atmosphere. There must have been a buzz, right? Oh, Just mate, buzz unreal. from you can't. the people there. Let's talk numbers. Let's talk spectator numbers. Yep. They sold out the tickets, okay, three months early, of which they're not giving exact numbers, but they're talking 250. Wow. Right. Plus, there was about 50,000 tickets available on Sunday at the gate. Which oh, explains wow. why all these people I saw at the just next to the gate were actually camped up outside the place, so they could get one of those Waiting tickets to get into on the Sunday. So, the, look, at one point I counted a hundred and fifty. Oh, there's a runway and an airport right next to the circuit. At one point I counted a hundred and fifteen private jets. Wow. Because it's not a public airport, is it? It's a, it's, uh, it, no, I don't think so. I think it's part of a circuit. Yeah. I, oh, wow. I've been to four Formula One races, Ashma, and when it comes to scale and exhibition of wealth, they are like a weekend go-kart event compared to what this was. Wow. I spoke to a gentleman who wished to remain unnamed who... During, he had an eight-hour break of driving. He was an LMP2 driver. He was from Switzerland. He flew home in his break. (laughs) 
Okay. Wow. Because he has a runway on his property. He's um he's doing the whole um he's doing the all six WC events for the year around the world. He wow. It's his team, so he employs everyone to do it, and he's spending just under fifty million euros for the year. It's obscene. Like this, I'm telling you, the wealth of like all LMP two, and in reality, quite a, the privateer LMP one cars, or sorry, hypercars, they're all sugar daddies, right? They're all guys who have got more money than they could ever spend. Want to go motor racing, so they do. Yep. Yeah, it must be one of those things where you can. You yeah, just go, you I've can, got the yeah, money. You literally can. Go. As long as you go through the process of qualifying, you know, getting your licence level and all that sort of stuff. It's Look, it's not any different to F1 drives that buy their seat. I was just going to say, it, it, uh, endurance racing is probably the place that you could just do that, but then then, then actually you can you can do it in Formula 1. Yeah, well. you can. You just need the money, right? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So that, that, that was... Yeah, just some observations. As more come to me over the following podcasts, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it. I'll remind you or share them with everyone. I want to talk about our cars for a sec. Go on then, hit me. I completely pulled, stripped, cleaned, and reassembled my Webers on my three five six on the weekend. What? Did you clean them or did you? Uh, did you put like a rebuild kit on it as no, well? No, no, I didn't. No, I didn't have to because the webs aren't very old. But I actually had a bad fuel filter for a little bit, and I've got some hesitation. I'm not happy with the way the jetting and everything is in the webers, but it's just not as good as it should be, in my opinion. So I thought before even I after the, um, even after what you've done or before. Even after no, what no, you've done before, before, right? So as the yep. first part of the process was, I'll clean the whole things. You know, clean out every jet, you know, with um, carb cleaner and then compressed air and just do the whole thing, right? Yeah. So I did, I did them both and it was quite good for me because I'd never pulled apart a Weber IDF carb before and went through the process and methodically and did it all and cleaned it all and put it all back together and car ran again, which was good. It ran a little bit better, but... On investigation and reaching out to some experts out there, one of which was a listener, thank you very much, um, got some better guidance on what uh, I need to do in my jet stack and what I need to do in my um, venture sizes for what's been done to my engine when it was last rebuilt. Okay, so I, I just, I've ordered those parts, so when they arrive, I'll pull the carbs off again and put all those new parts into them. Oh, see, I've I've thought about doing that to my because I'm convinced that one of the floats does get stuck every now and again. Sure, so I think it overfuels, especially when I when I've been out for a drive and I park it up and it just stinks of fuel. But I'm, I'm going to get in the next few weeks. I'm going to get the uh, new distributor in. Yes, see how it runs with that, and then I think the 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 my fear is that I would take the carburetor off, take it apart. And I'd want to put, you know, I'd want to put a rebuild kit on it, yes. on both of them, because um, I've got because I don't know the history of mine, whereas you know the history of yours. Yep, yep. Um, so I, I I do that, but then I, I I wouldn't have a clue how to set it up just right. You know, you'd be you can tweak right if it's if it's already there or thereabouts you can tweak, but if you if you 
putting it together and it's like completely off and then you go, how am I going to set it up just right? I, don't, I wouldn't know. Oh, look, there's plenty of YouTube videos. You got Solexes on your car? Yeah. Yeah, okay. The Look, there's plenty of tuition YouTube stuff to assist you, right? And look, you... I wouldn't do it without, you know, getting an airflow meter and a few bits and pieces so that you've actually... Yeah, I need one of those. You, yeah. you know, to do the setup, that would be my only advice. The rest is all pretty easy, basic hand tools. The um, And a double-jointed wrist would assist in getting some of the bolts of the carb off the yeah, manifold, right? The uh, <laughs> Even doing the plugs, you need that. This, I actually think the plugs are harder. The plugs are actually easier in your oh. car because how much more space you've got than the three five six in the in the back. Oh, the ones the ones in the back are just you know you need a you need a triple jointed spanner and you need a double jointed <laughs> wrist and you need and you know and then when you go and then you yeah, put it in your drops turning? in between the sheet metal the, the spark plug drops from the sheet metal and the yeah, head. exactly and, that, and then when you when you just plug in the lead in and you 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 know you you wedging your arm in and you're about to like you know. Yep, yep. Gash an artery in your arm, and you and then you go, is that is that in? Is that plugged in? I don't know. And then you're just constantly checking stuff, and and also the set of leads that I bought. I bought two sets of leads, and it's not completely obvious straight away where they go. You know, you'd go, oh, that one doesn't reach there, so obviously it doesn't fit there because you can just go by the length, right? <laughs> okay, where yeah. they fit from the computer. Yeah. So, but one of them, the 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 shortest one. On the set that I, the first set that I got, barely reached the nearest plug. And you're really? Like, it has to be. Yeah, it can't be for anywhere. So it's always pulling at it slightly. And I just went and bought another set afterwards thinking that that doesn't yeah, even make yeah. sense. When it's constantly tugging at it and you go over a big bump and it's probably going to come off. Um, so I didn't want to take that chance. So I went and bought another set. But well, I, need, I, need to do, I need to do all of that, but it's going to happen soon. Well, as, as you know, I have a one, two, three ignition distributor yep. and i know you've got a brand new one in the packet there what busting to put on your car right it's right here which model is it in my lap it is is it the tune or the tune plus um, tune plus okay well good one about tune plus is it's bluetooth enabled so you can set it up um you can adjust yeah. make adjustments remotely whereas mine's just a tune so i've got to plug a cable into it you know to make the changes to it um but yeah, that was that was one one of the main things is anti-theft and all sorts on there, but... Mm -hmm. But I've uh, downloaded the software mm -hmm. yesterday for that onto my laptop, so Orange. once I've done the carbs, I'll fit the... I'll uh, plug that in and... Because I feel that my um, distributor's not coming back down revs fast enough as well. So, t so tell me, on this distributor... Yes. Uh, when you put yours in... You fitted it. Hmm. In in terms of steps, obviously there's the actually, you know, relatively easy part of taking the old one out. Yes. There's what three or four wires, five four wires? Sure. And then what are the stages of then getting it right when the car's running? When you fire it up and you go, right, what steps are there? One, yeah. two, three. Okay. You to can take it out for drive. Okay, got one of those. Good, good. So you'll have to, you'll have to look. The good thing about the that distributor is to set it up statically. If you if you rotate the crank around to top dead center, okay, mm -hmm. you'll be able to. Then there's an LED 
light that activates by rotating the um, the distributor itself. So when you, when it's in, you can you know you've got your to adjust your um, advance. Obviously, you rotate the distributor in the motor, and there's a light that comes on when it's lined up at top dead center. So that's your starting point for your standard. Right. And then you know you obviously run it up to about three and a half thousand RPM to um, to check how much advance you've got, and then you may adjust it slightly from there. Okay. Now, on your motor, okay, so on an nine twelve motor, I think you want to max out at about thirty degrees of advance at about three and a half thousand RPM off memory. But I'm sure you'll do the research. Yeah, because yeah, because I I thought that I did read somewhere about the advance, um, and that it's a, it's around about that much. Mm-hmm. But the last when you're first setting it up, you can just do it by ear, right? And then you get no, to you a point where it's around there's an, LED, there's an LED light there to tell you where you set up. But it, but it's the because because the, there's so many worn parts in the engine. But I guess the the worn parts don't matter in a new distributor because there aren't any worn parts. It's all electric. And but it's the, the shaft is brand new and it works on sealed bearings. It's not like the old one. Yeah. So yeah, I guess you can get quite accurate then. Yeah, with that light. Hmm. That's the whole idea of the electronic bit. The um, yeah. The, and then if you want to make any changes to the distributor light you can put a rev limit rev limit on it as part of the setup mm. um electronic you know through the software oh wow why would you do that well prevent you going past the point of you know everything coming out of your engine oh, i don't know if i like that i like that i like the sense of danger well you know, the motor itself, depending on what it's been assembled with and what internal components, they don't have a very high red line, Hajmol, and if you can go past that, it's probably not recommended. Otherwise, you end up with this thing called a Conrod trying to cut your engine block in half. I know. I've, I've gone too... I feel like I've gone too high because I've, I've, I've pushed it. You know, when you, when you push it, and normally you can tell just by the sound, I've gone too far. <laughs> Um, I've, I've done that. I've, I've done that on the nine twelve. Yeah. On the on the on my nine nine six, it you know you, you, it's almost like it doesn't know. So you hit the rev limiter. Yep. Like you just keep going. You can just keep going in second gear and first gear, and it, and it's such a shock to the system when you hit the rev limiter because it's almost like it, it, the car wants to brake. Um, not not as in braking as, as an explode, but you know the the brakes are coming on because it starts judder, it's stuttering. Yep. Uh, at really high reps. And but it, it flies there. But on on um, on the 912, you, you know, you really quickly run out of revs, so you know, stop it now. <laughs> Don't go any further. I've 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 got I think mine's set up at six thousand at the moment on my three five six. That's quite high. Yeah, well the motor's had a lot of uh nice modern components put inside it when it was rebuilt, as well. Oh yeah, that's true. You know, that so, is true. You know, I, I, I have no recollect. I have no uh, you don't record. You know what's in yours what's yet, do you? Really? No, no. That's all right. No, I do know it's been rebuilt, but that's it. Talk about modern cars for a sec. Yep. I was asked yesterday if I'd consider trading my GT4 for a nine nine two Carrera S. And you said, fuck yeah. No, I said no. The, um, 
I said, no, let me think about it. My instinct is no, but let me think about it. Yeah, but you're good at the track, so your car's probably better on the track to enjoy on track than a 92 Career S, I'm sure. Now, look, the Career S has its has some uh, attractive qualities, that being back seats. Mm, yeah. And the fact that it's that, you know, three-litre turbo engine means that for not very much money I can get it to punch out about 550 horsepower. That is true. With a mild tune. Very much, hang on, whoa, 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 not very much money. What's not very much money? It's all relative, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but relative <laughs> to your GC4, I mean. Um, oh, no, look, it, it's less than 5,000 Australian dollars to do that. What? It's a turbo-powered so turbo car. They just sit there and crank up the the, um, the boost and they manage all, everything else in the... In the uh, in the unit, so that, that motor, that um, that uh, what is it called? The computer for that car has been well and truly cracked. Yeah, because you know it's the same one that's in the nine nine one point two. Um, yeah, true. Engines, uh, engine base. So the um, yeah, it's you know the ECU's well and truly uh, been sorted out by third parties. In fact, they can even do it online. You don't even have to go anywhere to do it. Mm, yeah, true. But so, I just, I so just you're can't bring myself to get a car that big. They are big. And if I'm going to get one that big, I, I might just wait another five years or six years and just get a GD3. Oh, yeah, but then it's, it, I just think at the moment there's just. There's so many models. This, you know, before you just knew they, these things were going to come out and everybody knew what they were, but now it's got to the point where there's so many and the temptation is just to sit there and go, I just don't care. I just don't care about yet another model that's come out. Yeah, you, know, you want the Halo ones, you want to talk about them, you want to look at them. But, you know, most of the time, if you were thinking about, I'm just going to own one, you could just go and buy a Carrera. A 992 you know, base Carrera, and you would have a whale of a time driving that. Yep, yep. The look, the biggest problem with every I can't think I've seen a 992 in a non mono color. You know, it's either white, black, one of the 119 shades of gray. Yeah, that is true. Actually, you're right. I don't like, I might have seen a gentian blue one. But that ended up, that, that one I saw had a black interior. And if I'm getting a gentian blue 992, I want a tan interior. But then, but then how many versions of tan are there? Yeah, I don't know. Really? I'm not that up to speed with what's happened with the current generation, you know. But it is that, it is that thing of, you know, it's not, it's not where someone goes, oh, that's that colour and it's that model. That's amazing. I love it. Now it is it is that thing of you know where people like me and and you who are you know fans of sort of classic cars, modern cars, cars in general, and would look at it would have known what the model was a few yeah. years ago. It just got yeah. like, I just just don't just don't care. Our Porsche nerds are pretty good on that. Like you know, like it took me ages to see the difference between a nine nine seven point one and nine nine seven point two. Hmm. Yeah, but that's way back now. <laughs> it's not that long ago. It's, uh, 
Oh, and well, I don't know, maybe, maybe, yeah, 2010s, but you know, maybe we've lost interest. It's a generational thing. Maybe we've lost yeah, interest in that. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty fair um, statement yeah, with regards to like you, you, you can't win the game of keeping up with the Joneses when it comes to anything in life, let alone 9-11s, right? Yeah. So Exactly. And I, I, the thing with the 992 is I'm, I don't think they're at the bottom of their depreciation cycle yet. Oh, I, yeah, I, I don't think they're anywhere near it. Oh, I don't think look, so. The early, like, 20, you got to remember, the, they're coming up five years old because they're a 2018 992s. Yeah, it was a long time ago. But, you know, a, a 991.2 yes. um, is probably, you could probably buy one sort of towards the bottom of the range. That's the same price as a 993 in the UK. Um, that's probably similar here, I think, maybe. No. Or, yeah, I can, yeah, I can, that's about right number. Oh, look, that's a good 993 versus a. Just a nine nine average point two yeah, average nine nine one yeah yeah um, and that is I mean to me I don't, I don't know what that means because it doesn't really say anything because if you went and got a nine nine three it's still it's still an older car it's still a, an air cooled car it's still going to need a rebuild of an engine after a certain amount of time it's going to have asthmatic air conditioning if it has it uh, assuming it's a later one and but if you went and bought a 991.2, then it's just a modern car. You could you could drive from here to Scotland and back and not miss a beat I actually, many times over. I actually think that the the oldest car in the 911 range that feels modern to sit in, drive and work, that everything functions properly, is probably the 997.2. I thought you were going to say 996.1. I definitely wasn't going to say that. That that feel that, that well, there's too there's too much inside interior challenges in the nine nine six point one for me. Oh yeah, I mean they're, they're, it's a nineteen eighties interior. Let's make no bones about it. You look at it, you sat inside it, and you just go that this could be straight out of a VW from the nineteen eighties. Yeah, but but the, the the thing is, you go from a nine nine three, which is also from a 1960s, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. which is fine because it's got that classic look. The problem with the 996 is it just went to those plastics and it just... It, it oh, mine's all like, leather, though. Mine's all leather, but still, you're right. You're right. But, yeah, the buttons There's, aren't. There is that. And the fascias aren't. Yeah, they're not. Right? Yeah, they're not. And, and it gets that stickiness of some parts of it. And also... Um, yeah, when you when you have, you know a couple of times that I've sat in a nine nine seven, a friend of mine owns one. I've I've seen them at shows and stuff. They're um, from a nine nine six to a nine nine seven. It's such a leap well, just had, in terms had, of how it. I think whilst there were plenty of nine nine sixes sold, the backlash from the factory of the how, how there's too much similarity between the Boxster and the nine eleven for the nine nine six, right? Yeah, it was absolutely way too way too much. You know, you it, it was too it was too hard to differentiate between the two, but which Porsche had to do because the you know, they needed the profitability at that moment in time and all that sort of thing, which 
I'm not critical of it, it's business. But as an owner, driver slash enthusiast, yeah, the difference is for considering the purchase price for those two cars probably wasn't that far apart. You know, there's a big difference in the experience. But I actually even think 997.1s, how dated they look purely because of the phone pad. Oh, yeah, the phone pad. The phone, Yeah, the phone pad was always going to date it. I mean, uh, are there... Because which car is it that has a... It's not a Saab, is it? Which one came with a phone from the factory? Oh, loads of cars came from... And and so they, some of them, you know, as classics, they still have them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but they were always going to date it because obviously over here, you know, they've got those phones. Even if you've got SIM in it and it worked, by law, you're not allowed to pick it up while you're driving. <laughs> I think it's I think it's the same everyone. Hey, um, so I think one of us has got to well, go to bed and one of us has got to go to work. Yes. Oh, I need to. I I need, I need to talk to you about a giveaway next time. I've got some stuff. Do you? What are you? Let's talk about it now. I want to hear. Uh, well, I've, I've got I've got one thing. I've lost the other thing, so I won't talk about it. But I've got a Porsche pen. Porsche pen. A yeah. Porsche pen. Is it a big with uh, a homemade Dymo tape um, word Porsche stuck on it? Uh, no, it's written in a sharpie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a Porsche branded pen from the Porsche shop and it's I don't actually know how much it would cost um it but it doesn't matter uh it's it's in the box it's brand new but obviously I don't like it because it says Cayenne on it it <laughs> doesn't really yeah Classic. and it's a lovely looking pen uh brand spanking new what color ink um uh I don't know I, mean, I don't really want to try it yeah okay but for some reason it does say it's for 18 year olds and over so it could, you know, it could have one of those naked ladies on it. You know, when you turn the oh, pen yeah. upside down and she like, what <laughs> How serious is that? You just, just age yourself. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm sure I saw it on, on the oh, History yeah. Channel or something. Yeah, okay. uh, <laughs> naked lady on the pen with a thing that goes there. I forgot all about those. That's classic. Anyway, this isn't one of those pens. No, it isn't one of those pens. It's obviously a high-quality thing made in... Yeah, you know, made in China. In Turkmenistan. Um, yeah, yeah uh, exactly. So quality, quality piece of kit. Um, but you know, brand spanking new. Um, and if anybody wants it, they just need to contact me on uh, Flat Cap Driver Instagram and after just say left, I want after the pen. Left a review, and if you haven't uh, received something from a giveaway from us in the past, yes, if you haven't received one before. And you need to leave a review, uh, a positive, like, 10-star review. Yep, that sounds, um, uh, sounds like a good deal. So, And we'll put, and uh, Ajmal will post a pen out to you. I've definitely got some stuff yeah, exactly. I've got here that we could use as giveaway. So we'll come up, we'll come up with something. Yeah, in, let's uh, start doing that. Near future. Okay. Absolutely. Right. It was nice to catch up. We'll uh, have to do this again sometime. Yes, let's do it soon. Yep, sounds good. Okay, everyone, thank you very much for listening. If you want to uh, reach out with any feedback, corrections, ideas for future episodes, please do so. I'm available on most social media as Mark and Cars. That's Mark with a C. And 
Ajmal is available on flat cap driver. So have a great day and we hope you're listening to this podcast from behind the steering wheel of your car.